When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Hollywood and Mike show up on WMMRDB Rockford, baby. We also have it right now. Tuning out on Insane Throttle Biker News, as well as Mikey's new channel, man. Insane Wheels. That kid's over there kicking it in the ass, man, and he's doing it with an amputated leg. You believe that? He's putting titanium in that ass kick right there. But uh, today we got a great guest. We got Carlos Garcia, man. Now, I can't tell you if it's the real Carlos. He lives out west, and like he was saying, how many Carlos Garcias are out there, man? My God, it has to be a million out there. But anyway, he is a motorcycle attorney, and he's going to be speaking out live right here on the show we're gonna get up in that thing man and uh ask him a bunch of questions for everybody uh everything ranging from biker rights over to motorcycle accidents it should be a good one we have to bring mike in here i don't even know why he went off screen what's going on well i always try to give you your respect you know what i mean like i allow you to open the show up and then i come in you know later because you know i'm just the co-host you know I'm telling you what, man, uh, Peg Leg, you've been doing awesome with these guests. Jesus Christ, man. You know, I, I wonder if you're going to get him on the show next. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot, man. We, anything is possible at this point. We've we've been very blessed with the uh, people that we've been linking up with. Believe it or not, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a wild story about how all of this, uh, how all of our shows have connected and also with the guests have come on. Um, a lot of these guests have come on because of certain other previous guests that we've had on the show. And, uh, believe it or not, this is a personal friend of, um, Ash and Cheeks, you know oh, what I mean? Okay. Well, so you don't want it, to say that fast, man. Cause I'll call it ass and cheeks. I, well, see, I actually enunciate my words, you know, you don't. So Hollywoodisms, hey, yeah, you'd Hollywoodism, be saying it should be in the know? damn dictionary. Okay. Yeah. With, we, Hollywoodism is a real thing, guys. But what so I'm excited about our guests, man, because everybody knows I'm real big into uh, biker rights, uh, some of the laws that affect us out there. So it's going to be great to be able to actually, you know, ask a motorcycle attorney that's involved in that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they make fun of attorneys. They really do. And uh, <laughs> rightly so. But when it comes to a motorcycle attorney, I place them in a different category because they do help us within our type of lifestyle and when somebody goes down in a motorcycle accident what so be it they are right there by your side working for you because guess what the insurance companies don't give a crap about you you know somebody can die in a motorcycle accident next thing they're knowing they're saying oh he was worth about a dollar or something like yep. that 
be a screwball. Yep. But then we got our attorneys out there. A lot of people would know uh, of NCOM, NCOM, the National Coalition of Motorcyclists. We used to call it NCOM, you know, National Coalition of Clubs, but the NCOC. But I really do like a lot of the attorneys that work there. We had a lot of them come out right after the Waco Twin Peaks with uh, that sad state of affairs down there with uh, the Banditos and the Cossacks because what uh, Abel Reyna did was just despicable. Could you imagine sitting there? You're in an event, and there was some veterans there. There was some Christian clubs there. Could you imagine just being at that COC meeting Next thing you know, that goes down and the cops are arresting everybody and they have a pre-printed arrest deal where yep. you're at a million dollar bond. Just fill in your name. You're going to freaking jail. Yep. So those yeah, let's match up these names. Let's match up these names. Cuff them up. Let's go. You know, we're making money. That's those, how the, the government those attorneys up. came out guns blazing. And next thing you know, there was only one case brought against. Uh, somebody in that incident and he it was a hung jury so that just tells you uh the veracity that these uh, attorneys do have so they're not all bad they're That's not all right. bad you know but uh thanks for that mouth of the south we love you too we got china down in the house baby and the bent podcast. Yeah, China Dow Mikey says you just took it way out of uh you know <laughs> way. He, he, he can deal with China Dow, not me. I already have to deal with her. Like I said earlier, man, I brought her on that two and a half mile walk and she wants to kick my ass with your leg. But yeah, uh, I I would too. I would too if I was hurting and all of a sudden you want to take me on a two and a half mile walk. Jesus. She thought I was going to bury her out there with the Pelicans or whatever they were. But uh, anyway, what are some of the questions you want to ask Carlos when we bring him on? No, I just want to I want to talk about, um, you know, first of all, injury. You know, um, I know a lot of motorcycle attorneys uh, when they go, you know, with injury, they kind of will rush the process to go ahead and get that quick settlement instead of mm -hmm. going to trial and going and really fighting for someone's rights and, and, and fighting for what is actually due for them. And I'm kind of a, a victim of, I don't want to call myself a victim, but I am a victim of someone that where I got skimped out majorly on, let's just say my case. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I've been talking to Carlos here the last week or so, you know, on and off, you know, on, on the phone. And he was talking to me about how, you know, how passionate, he is about, you know, like going to trial and doing all of these things and really actually not just going for that settlement, you know, like how everyone would do. And then the, they'll, the, the lawyer will tell you, oh, really, this is a good deal. This is the best deal you're going to get. You know, it's like, no, this guy really wants to fight for you because this is what I mean. Imagine me. You have an entire body piece ripped from you, you know, mm. and then what's it worth? What? Oh, it's only worth 30 grand or something stupid. No, that's ridiculous. You know, well, we fight a lot of people, they don't understand. They got to be their own advocate out there. That's just like if you go to a doctor and we know these doctors nowadays, if you have an elbow problem, they'll throw freaking Lexapro or Zoloft. Oh, you're just yep. depressed. You got to be your own advocate, especially in a situation that you were in. You really had to fight and make sure 
that you got what you deserved out of the well, deal. I'm still fighting it. I'm still fighting, believe it or not. I mean, it's it's something that it, it's affected me to this very day. You know, it, you know, I was previous to that accident. I was making well over six figures. And of course, you're going to have six figures worth of bills. What happens to that when all of that went away? You know what I mean? The bills didn't go away. Everything no, else didn't go no. away. And so, that's where a lawyer should be advocating for you. Exactly. Is that? And one thing that's uh, very interesting, one question I'll ask is, why do they not charge up front with retainer fees and stuff like that? Well, you know, we get paid when you win. What does that mean? Does that mean is there the reason why the first chance you get at a settlement? Is that why some attorneys take that? You know, some difficult questions that uh, have to be asked as far as that is concerned. For sure. But I still do think that they're there to help you. I know the Law Tigers, they're really into the community. They get out there, they sponsor events, they sponsor yep. uh, creators out there to make sure that their message gets out there. Because let's admit, you know, let's admit it, man, uh, the mainstream media, you're really not going to get to your target audience where in something like this, you would. And that's why I really like the Law Tigers, because they actually ride and they get into the scene. So it's always nice when you get that type of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's going to be especially, a good show, I think. Especially when they're actually around the culture and, and, and immersed in the culture, not just people that are in a law office and they go, oh, well, this is a good targeted audience for me to, to you know, be a lawyer for or an advocate for, you know, because they'll pay me. No, mm -hmm. it's like actually being involved, wanting to learn the culture, wanting to, you know what I mean? Like be a part of it and learn it. And that's something that this man has been doing. That's what I'm loving right there. You know, the only thing I'm jealous about lawyers, man, they got some hot ass secretaries. It's like, dude, where do you get them, man? Well, they're they're hiring them. They're the, they're their own boss. So, I mean, of course, they're going to hire them what they want. Uh, you know, I you look know? at my co-host. I got you, man. I don't got no hottie, man. What's up with that? But anyway, we're going to bring in Carlos, baby. He's going to be coming in here right now. What's up, Carlos? What's Welcome going to the on, show, gentlemen? Man. Thank, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, man. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to I've been looking forward to this for like, what, a week and a half or something? Man. Yeah, so, me too. Me too, man. Thank it's, you guys for the invite. I knew this was going to be a really, a, a really good episode. And, and uh, just speaking yeah. with you off of the, and you know, off of the show and just getting to know you, I, I've really gotten to get a, a gist of you and man i can tell that you you definitely got a good heart man and 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 thank you i can tell and i'm not going to put cases out there but i'm just saying that from what you have told me i i can see how you actually actually care about like your clients you know what i mean like rather yeah, than yeah. oh you know get this quick settlement they say that you know they signed off for 100k so let's just sign it off and get it i get paid and see you later. Fuck off now. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's what's kind of what I what I've seen in the motorcycle or in the injury, at least anywhere. And yeah. it, it hurts my soul because it's it's happened to me. But imagine the people that it's also happened to and they didn't have the resources maybe that I did to be able to keep alive. I mean, it's not just me that's here. I've got an entire family I've got to support. 
you know? So people don't even think just past that person. There's a family, there's people that rely on these people. And yet we're, you know, just going, Oh, well, we're just collecting. I, I them never money. thought I would see Mike get the grease out the grease a lawyer so much in my life. But, uh. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, well, well, look, I, I know. I, and actually, I was kind of like, you know, listening to the banter before I hopped on here. And I think that's great that you guys ask some of these hard questions, because there's there's a lot of, um, you know, similar to how society interacts with a lot of bikers because they just don't understand a lot of that same stuff happens with lawyers. So I, I want to, I, I love the hard questions because usually the hard questions are just a simple communications gap, man. So you yep, heard that, you know, right? Mike? That, you I heard, did hear that. I did you hear heard, that. I, he's on the Hollywood and Mike show here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, I don't want to hear nothing from you guys about a setup after, you know, this yeah, one, yeah, exactly. having fun and stuff like that. Uh, Carlos, what, made you want to be a lawyer what made you want to go through all that schooling what made you want to get into a profession that isn't liked that much and a profession yeah. that is actually looked upon as somebody that's there to that's out for themselves that are out to screw somebody you know get into that yeah. and the falsehoods of those people's arguments well Look, Hollywood. The re—I'll—I'll I'll be very honest. The reason that I became—that I wanted to be a lawyer since I was a kid—is because I just thought it was cool. Like I, you know, I—I I thought, hey, if I become a lawyer, I'm—I'm I'm something. Uh, and I'll—I'll I'll bring this full circle because that's not exactly true. You know, when you become a lawyer or a doctor or any—you know—any number of things that society is like, hey, that—that that deserves some additional respect or something. It just doesn't. It, it's not like that. I've never been that kind of lawyer, but. I got started wanting to be a lawyer because I just uh, I don't come from a, a you know particularly educated family in terms of like my parents my grandpa my grandpa raised me and his education stopped when he was like 13 years old. Fortunately, my cousins and I because of his hard work and I'm talking you know fucking hard blue collar stuff labor okay? yeah labor um, yeah. we we were able to do something and he he just kind of like really pushed us all the time but i thought it was cool man i thought hey you become a lawyer the sky's open money just kind of falls down and you're doing your thing uh which is not true the only place that real money goes to is student loans so you gotta really really want to be a doctor or lawyer if you want to do it but i just uh dude i have a lot of fun just figuring out problems and and kind of arguing with people and just kind of you know challenging different ideas and philosophies so it's a good fit well let's uh first of all uh you're gonna have a question from nelson thanks for the donation nelson he's gonna yes, want to hear your take on the fourth amendment uh because there's a lot of people giving advice that will get dudes hemmed up so we'll get to that one but Let's separate because this happens in the biker scene. It happened with a couple shows where people actually thought, you know, bikers were these serial killers running around. But at the same time, lawyers have to face this as what uh, as far as going to trials and stuff, how a trial works. You, you know, yeah. you had the law and order and you don't see that type of drama in a courthouse. So, you know, explain yeah. kind of how tv and how reality is so different in a case yeah that's uh that's actually a really good question and i'll, I'll tell you so i i've been in the legal field almost 20 years man I, I started out as a paralegal in the army jag corps so i've 
sat through hundreds of hours of trials and, you know, different legal proceedings. Um, I think the probably the biggest difference is that when you're looking at something on TV or a movie, you have to have that attention grabbing drama the whole time. It's yeah. generally not like that. There is so much work that goes into your, you know, if you really get down to it, okay, you got a trial or something, maybe that thing goes on for several hours or, you know, a few hours. There's so much prep work that goes into it. And I'm not talking super sexy stuff. I mean, reading through documents, getting discovery. Um, thank God there's some new, you know, technological tools that we're using with AI and just analyzing big sets of data. But a lot of it is just, it. Uh, it's a lot of prep work, man. It's a lot of prep work. And I always think, you know, this is how I approach a, a, a case. If I get a case, I always kind of have the trial mindset, whether I know it's going to go to trial or not, I, you know, who knows with most of the cases, but I kind of treat it like I'm, I'm a movie director and I just got handed a new script and I just want to go make a banger. And, and I approach mm -hmm. it like that because there's a lot of, you know, there's technicalities, there's nuances, there's different pieces of specific law. But when you get right down to it, if you're going to be in front of a judge or a jury or a prosecutor, a lot of it comes down to a story, you know? Mm. Yes. And and that's something that I was going to ask you is, is how does somebody go about, before I get into your background in this question yeah. here, how does someone go about finding the right lawyer for them? Uh, like, how oh, do you know, yeah. How do you know yeah. when and who the right lawyer is for you? How do you know? Yeah, what, what a hell of a question, man. I guess it's similar to dating. I don't know. You know, uh, it's like you, there's there's a so first of all, I'll start off by saying this. Um, there are a lot of different organizations out there that'll give just awards like you'll pay for it. You'll get a membership and you're like, oh, I'm wow, top yeah. hundred this. What You know, and, and whatever, man, I'm not here to, to you know to knock anybody for how they go about marketing. I, I don't, it, it is what it is, man. Okay. Sure. So, yeah. so maybe you can kind of look at that, but I think there's some more kind of like meaningful organizations. Like if they've held a chair at some nationally recognized thing, if they've uh, been involved with like the ABA and they've held a, you know, a seat there, or some other respected organization, or, or maybe they're on a board of um, like uh I'm not on the board, but I'm a member of like TCDLA, the Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association, things like that. I would look for that. But when, you know, when you get right down to it, I think you really just got to go in there and talk to them. And, and probably the best measure of a good lawyer is how well they're able to just articulate things to you and connect with another human being. Because what, again, whether you're in front of a prosecutor, a judge, a jury, an insurance company, you're constantly driving these connections with people. And generally, the better you connect, the more favorable the outcome is going to be. Um, right. So, and so if I they, really if do they can understand that. and relate more. And, and, and if you're, I would say, I guess, good at storytelling, if you're good at being able to connect the dots, like you were saying, being able to put things out there for the public or for anybody to see, and being able to put a good story together, I guess that's really a, a good trait to be looking for, it's, especially. It is. And it's not the only trait. I mean, there's some other things you could do. You know, uh, have they been published? Have they written an article? Uh, Google them. Like, like, like start right. by Googling Review. them. You know, that reviews, would, be, that would yeah. be great. 
Yeah, and and um, and just see if they have that substance to back it up. Because it's also true that you could get the car salesman who's just fantastic in person, and then there's nothing between the two ears. And that's that's equally as bad as you know a- any other number of scenarios that you can imagine sure. coming up. Um, so I would just but, say, you know, feel them out. And, and, let, me, and let me ask you this, because it pertains to what you were just yeah. saying. As motorcyclists, bikers, whatever you want to say, and there's an accident, What's the hustle that is being ran with this? You to pay me later if I win stuff. What's there? There's a hustle there because yeah. I know that I wouldn't be out there. Hey, you know, let's take a risk on winning when most of the time when it goes to a jury, you never know. And, you know, you're a lawyer. <laughs> you could say that. Yeah. But where's the hustle? What people what should people know about when it comes to we ain't getting paid unless we yeah. win. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, honestly, man, I don't even know that I would call it a hustle. I, I would call it because it, it it's like a necessary business model. And if you could do it in other scenarios, you probably would take stuff on contingency. But ethically, you can't, you know, you can't. There's there's a lot of ethics rules that bar that. And the reality is, man, a lot of people don't have the capital up front to come in and litigate something like that. Yep. So, you know, and this goes back to attorney selection, uh, like you're talking about, Mike, you know, one of the things that that sometimes comes up is, you know, are you at a law firm where there's just a solo practitioner? And and I'm not saying that solo practitioners aren't good. A- actually, to the contrary, there's a lot of really talented attorneys that are solos. But do they have the capital to, you know, kind of pay for expert witnesses and stuff like that, if that's what it comes down to? Do they have a team that can help litigate it? But the reason to to just be very upfront about it, the reason that that we take things on contingency is really because there's no capital up front that the person usually has. And and to some extent, you know, it ties our performance to, you know, whatever we make. Now, you're always you will have these situations where it's probably settled too early or, you know, things like that. And I hope I really actually want to talk about that, man, because that's a big. Yeah. Um, that's a well, big, before you do you that, know. Carlos, now you with this conversation, and I think it's a big question where you yeah. say a lot of people don't have the resources to go ahead with a court case. So mm-hmm. it really is a two tier type of justice system. Yes. Oh, a hundred. Look, man, don't. Again, I've been doing this thing for like almost 20 years. All right. I've had I started out uh, at doing primarily criminal defense and i can tell you that the justice system is not equal for people from different socioeconomic rungs of the ladder not and let's start like let's start at the beginning with the charge okay if you come from a socioeconomic rung of the ladder that's pretty low you're actually you have an increased chance of interacting with the justice system so let's start just starting there okay just and then you get to defending it just environment just and you know what man whatever i'm not a judge Mike, like I said, dude, you fly to Colorado and you can see exactly where I grew up. And and I I do not, you know, dude, there are so many like messed up things that happen to people that are just born into circumstances. And I'm not saying they shouldn't take responsibility for it, but I am saying that there is inequity when it comes to that. And then you get to actually defending against a case. Okay, so paying expert witnesses, doing things that cost money. Um, And it's not... 
and I say cost money as if like it's in the pejorative, like it's a bad thing. There, there are some things that come up, they cost money. They just, it, it is the way of the world. You got to pay someone to do something. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, people's chances of getting a fair shake, I think, n- not only do I think, I think there's plenty of data to support it. They're not as good if they don't, if they have meager resources, you know? And by the way, I just need to say this, man, because my my partner, who is one of the most talented lawyers I've ever met, he runs our Colorado office. Shout out, Aaron. Um, he started out as a public defender and public defenders get an incredibly bad reputation. Yeah, they do. And it's not it. it and, and, and part of it, part of it is deserved. There, it's not like there's not bad, you know, public defenders, but there's bad, you know, people in every profession. But these guys and gals have a docket of hundreds of cases sometimes, and they are in there fighting tooth and nail. And so even even the ones that care genuinely about their clients and the outcome, they are still at a huge disadvantage because they're walking in there with whatever limited government resources they have to try to make it happen. So, you know, shout out to the public defenders out there that are kicking ass and doing things. I have so much respect for you guys. And I, I really hope that people and the public at large just have respect for you too. Well, you know what? Uh, you bring up that point. And again, we're going to get into your practice. We got a long show here, but I think it's real important. What about the fact that you don't see rich people on death row? I mean, I, I maybe a lot of it is... Uh, you know, related to how much they can spend on a defense, um, you know, probably to, you know, to that point, um, you know, there's, there's this whole different set of things that happen for capital cases in terms of appeals and everything. So, you know, I think that's, um, that's probably just a, a result of them having the resources to keep fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And then there's this other stuff there, there's, there's some, like incredibly uncomfortable conversations to have about a bunch of different metrics, uh, you know, socioeconomic uh, background, uh, ethnicity, all these super uncomfortable questions. And they go both the, the sword cuts in both ways. You know, sometimes it, it's, it's great what we find out. Sometimes it's not. I think one of the things too, is that uh, it may be the case also. And this, okay. If anybody's listening to this, I'm not stating this is a fact. This is literally just Carlos's opinion. It might be that, well, maybe you have to be a little bit more put together to make it higher and higher. That could also be, you know, a thing. I don't know the answers to this. I'm People are listening to this right now on the radio. You got 120,000. Okay. Uh, Well, hello to all (laughs) 120,000 of you guys. Thank you for joining I told you the radio is our biggest thing. Yeah. (laughs) I should have, you know what? I should have done my makeup, man. I'm getting a little bit. Yeah, of, right. I got my makeup. A little, bit, a little bit of the shine, man. <laughs> but don't you think that in a capital case, the government, if it is truly blind, you know, they say justice is a, a blind lady. I don't it's not. That. It's not. But it's don't not. you think the very best should be afforded to a defendant facing the death penalty? Because that's the ultimate penalty somebody has to pay. Sure. Abs- I, I 100% do think that that's the case, but justice is not blind. Okay. So and, and, public, and I, I, uh, we call them public profe- pretenders up here in Chicago. Yeah. A public, public defender should not have to have a caseload of a hundred people while he's doing a death penalty case. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the vast majority of the time 
It's not even that public defender's fault. It's the government's fault for not devoting enough resources to these types of programs. Uh, in Colorado, where, where we have a practice also, we're very fortunate there, or people are very fortunate because they have a statewide program and they generally resource their attorneys very well. Um, it's not the case like, you know, everywhere that that happens. Um, but, you know, that, that, you know, that presupposes something that I just I don't think is true, which is that justice is blind and justice is equal. Like, you know, in theory, in theory, it's about, in, want theory it to in theory, yeah. it's supposed to be right. Yeah, yeah see, in theory, the it's supposed part. to be. But but, you know, in theory, you're not supposed to pull somebody over just for how they look. In theory, we're not supposed to gather evidence. And I think this goes back to one of those other questions that we got. Yeah, I was, just gonna bring, I was just going to bring that up when you yeah. talk. about. Uh, let's talk about the Fourth Amendment. What is the Fourth Amendment and why does it so much uh, come into the question as far as profiling is concerned? Bikers get profiled all the time. I know club members sure. do. I had a black guy once tell me, uh, you know, when you're getting pulled over in your colors, at least now you know what a black feels like. Yep. And that's mm -hmm. very true. So let's talk about the Fourth Amendment. What is the Fourth Amendment and what is it supposed to do? Sure, absolutely. So the Fourth Amendment is supposed to protect us all from unlawful searches and seizures. All right. And and really, the 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 I'm a nerd for this stuff, man. The reason that bikers are such an interesting group is because it's not just for like fourth amendment might be the platform or the catalyst that leads to some charge or prosecution but it's really you know on up through the fourth amendment and then also fifth and sixth but basically fourth amendment is supposed to stop unreasonable searches and seizures uh there's tons of case law you know the fourth amendment itself is just a couple of lines all right the amount of case law and legal scholars that there are on the Fourth Amendment is crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think the best part, and I, I'll give you the, the obligatory disclaimer here. Nothing I say up here is legal advice. Guys, if you need legal advice, go talk to an attorney that you have attorney-client privilege with. You shouldn't be talking to your buddies. You shouldn't be talking to your brothers about cases. You, you don't, though, you know, maybe if you're in the right jurisdiction, the only people that you can really talk to are, are your lawyer and potentially a spouse. Okay, so just... I, and, and I don't well, we're live, so you don't bleep this out. I'll bleep myself out. I always tell people, you know, the best policy is to shut the beep up. OK, yeah. so, you know, um, when it comes to Fourth Amendment, I think kind of what Nelson was getting at. Why, why do people get jammed up and where's the you know, where's this disconnect with people giving legal advice on the Fourth Amendment? Um, I will tell you and actually, darn, I got to go grab one of these cards. This this is what I was telling you about earlier, Mike. We, we made these plastic cards that we give out. And uh, if you come to West Texas, I, I think probably every biker here has one now. But it just basically says, hey, I'm not waiving any of my rights. You can't search me. I'm not consenting to that. If you do search me, then it's going to be unlawful. Um, but I, I, you know, I would say one of the biggest things is just don't consent. And, and when you get right down to the brass tacks, the reason that you don't consent is because generally any information that you're given the government is not going to help your case. All right. The, the, the government court cases, court cases are a lot like the army. Okay. A lot of people think that our military has done really well because we have bigger guns and bullets and bombs. That's not necessarily the case. We, we have probably one of the most complex information apparatuses in the entire world. 
and and we win a lot because we just have amazing information. And yep. that's what it's like when you're getting into court. You got to know more. You got to be ready. I, I think of it. And, and again, man, like the military people out there will understand exactly like what I'm saying here, the nomenclature. You want to have an asymmetry in information. So just don't say anything. Don't consent to anything. At least then we have a leg to stand on if we go to a suppression hearing, which means right. it gets thrown out. There's this, this doctrine called the fruit of the poisonous tree basically says, hey, government, if you get something unconstitutionally, you can't use it. So Okay, now you're bringing up the Fourth Amendment here and explaining what it's about and stuff. And one thing I can't or I don't like about our legal system is, and I'm wondering what you think it is, because there's the left and the right on this issue, especially with your Ninth Circuit out there, you know, the most cases uh, overturned by the Supreme Court. Do you believe the Constitution should be used as it is written, or do you believe more of the liberal ideology that it's an evolving document? And why do you think so? Is it supposed to be as written and taken literally in that sense, or do you believe it's evolving? I think that it's well, look, if, if I'm just straight up answering based on those two choices, I would say it's evolving. And here's why, because there are always going to be new circumstances, new machinations, new things that come out. I, look, I'll tell you this, man. When when the Second Amendment was written, do you think anybody anticipated the proliferation of you know automatic weapons or you know large grade artillery? I, I don't I just I don't think so. I I don't think so. I could be wrong. Now, what about in the context of when that Second Amendment was written? It was put there because of a military invasion. And wouldn't that wouldn't that today still be an effect of why we have that Second Amendment and the argument of when a government gets out of control? Because it has gotten out of control and citizens want to be able to protect themselves. And as old Joe Biden says, well, you can't overthrow the government if you don't got an F-16 or a nuclear weapon. And that kind of sounds like a threat of uh, how they can put you under the thumb. But what's somebody's recourse in the event if they didn't have that Second Amendment? And we see a lot of countries now, uh, Australia being one, because they were more worried about their security than their freedom. And they gave up their guns in the mid 90s and yes because it was a mass shooting but at the same time tyrannical governments prey on something like that and it seems like the governments want to go after the second or you know your gun rights to put you under the thumb that happened in nazi germany they went after the guns first yeah and i i so i'll, I'll say this um Number one, I'm a supporter of the second. I'm a supporter of all the amendments. Okay, I'm I'm a supporter of the Constitution <laughs> yeah. in general, right? Yeah, just the, especially the second one, right? No, I don't um, put you on the spot here. I know. I no, know no, no, no. No, I don't look. The the good thing is, I don't, bro. I don't mind being backed into a corner or having to talk real, uh, like you know, real talk about the Constitution right. and amendments. And I'll tell you this because I spent a very long time in the military. And, no, and look, let me give yeah, this did. disclaimer too. I was in the JAG Corps. So I was not the guy kicking in doors or anything like that in Afghanistan. I was deployed 
And I, I missed a lot of really important events for my family. I guess that was my, you know, that was my internal sacrifice. I got a lot of respect for my brothers in arms that did do the well, stuff. We didn't, that was, thank you for, we didn't thank you for your service. We got to thank you. For oh that. man. Nah, bro. It's, it, it was it, that, that, what do you mean? Right you, here today. Th there was a lot of you know? years that you spent there. So, I mean, yeah, it, and, and it all, it all brought me here to where I am today. And that's why I feel more obliged to, uh, to say stuff about my views on the constitution and, and what I think people's rights are and, and my interpretation. So I don't mind, you know, saying it. And, you know, honestly, um, I think it's probably my biggest asset in the courtroom, especially when in the criminal defense, because I would have, man, sometimes I would have cops that were like, who the hell does this slick haired defense attorney jerk think he is? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, brother, I, I literally probably have socks that were in service longer than you, my friend. So, so this <laughs> yeah. is like, you know, I, I've missed so much time with my family and have had good friends just, you know, not end up in real good positions. So I'm going to just go all out when I'm in. Here. How does the JAG Corps differ from civilian justice system? Oh, so much, dude. I'm like, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm here. Here's what I am, man. I am a guy who. And and I'm still to be to be clear I'm I will retire in uh in about two years here from the National Guard Rocking twenty man. full years in service so I got to wow. be I I will say this man there are flaws with every justice system but there are flaws with everything that's built by human beings and um, I think there's a lot of well intentioned folks that get in and they try to do things that they think are gonna make justice more equal or just make the system better. And sometimes the idea of thinking that it's the right way can really cloud people's judgment. And, and it's like the means to an end argument, like, I, you know, so I'll just say the bit and to, to answer your question, the biggest difference between the military and civilian courts, uh, pr probably the biggest difference is that instead of having juries with a, a jury of our peers, we don't have that in the military. We have what's called panels for courts martial and somebody is selected to be on a panel for an entire year. Uh, it's called a CMCO court martial convening order. I think that's one of the biggest flaws in the military justice system, because if you can imagine being selected for jury duty for an entire year and we're talking, we're oh, talking com commanders who are responsible for significant resources and DOD and they have to take time out to do that. Not that it's not important for justice to play out like that. I just think that's one aspect of it that's kind of, you know, we, we can do better, folks. So if, um, yeah, that, I'll, I'll stop up. there, man, because I don't want right. to go way, 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 way Two more there. years. You only two more years. Let's hey, let's, re let's, let's reconvene in two years, man. Yeah. Let's, let's continue down that path. I was very active with the Eddie Gallagher uh, case. I actually had his brother on. I was on Apple. Uh, with his documentary and I was always one who believed he was in the right because when we're in war you're there to kill and what our government did to him was embarrassing they put a hero through the grinder if you will and I want to get somebody who is in the JAG Corps and this is you're, you're the first one that I was ever able to uh, get this because there are two sides of the story. But am I right in saying that he was right because we were at war and we are there to win? Why was he charged? Yeah. 
So I will, and again, I just gotta. He was the name because I got two. I I got no, no. I yeah, I I know who Eddie Gallagher was. I just I so anything that I say is my own opinion. It has nothing to do with the Jag Corps. You guys get me court marshaled on here. Uh, No, I'm I'm kidding. But um, (laughs) in the hard questions, man. No, no, that's. I'll, I'll keep it. I'll keep it very broad in in terms of generalities because, um, and I'll, I'll share with you guys a little bit of my history. Um, what I, I would, would you say yes or no to uh, my way of thinking? Are we at war? We're there to kill enemies. Our soldiers should be able to do what they need to do without any political consequences. Yes or no? Man, that's a tough one. If I had to answer yes or no to that, I would say no. And I'll tell you why. And this is this is probably one of the most important. Um, but doesn't that, that make that make us weaker in the eyes of, say, Russia, China, North Korea, who don't play by those rules? When we get into a conflict with people who don't play by the rules, I think that there are certain legal ways to go about neutralizing the enemy. And I, I'm telling you this based on firsthand experience. We there is a reason that we have been the most powerful military force on earth in recent history. There's a reason that we were able to go into Iraq and t- imagine this, man. You t- we took over Iraq in a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. Think think about this for a second. We we have the power to go in and do to to really kick ass. And I will tell you this, God, do, like just respect to all my 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 NATO. Uh, fellow brothers in arms that I served with in Afghanistan. Um, guys, we have a really well-trained military. There are other well-trained militaries out there, but I'm telling you firsthand, seeing our military interact with our, our counterparts from other nations, guys, we, we have a very well-trained military. And if you have that, you have to exercise restraint because if you don't, if you let that dog off a leash, brother, it, it, it just, it, it, it makes me apprehensive thinking about if we unleashed the total fury of our entire military on somebody. Dude, wouldn't it wouldn't that, even be a... Wouldn't that have saved uh, a lot of soldiers' lives, say, in Afghanistan, where they were fighting a people that have been warring for over a thousand years? Wouldn't that kind of being held back from doing see eddie is something to me like i said i was personally involved in that one and i couldn't believe they charged him but isn't that what has to be met in the face of a an enemy like that and let's be honest we fought that war in 20 years and if we were as powerful as we seemed that would have ended in a couple weeks like you said but it went on for years and years and years and i think the fear that was thrown on our soldiers was unnecessary because it's just like in Vietnam, they wouldn't let our guys in Vietnam fight because of the legalities and stuff. And I understand what you're saying. We're a leader in the world. So we have to be careful about what we do. Yes. But at the same time, uh, you know, Truman used the nuclear bomb on Japan to end it. Where has that type of thinking went? Yeah, and and I I'm glad you brought up that example because that that's exactly what I was going to go to. Um, probably the greatest philosophical conundrum of our time, right? Like you know you you have a lot of power. How do you wield that power? What do you do with it? You could take the uh, the approach that we did with Japan, and we demolished them. 
uh, with, with not a whole lot of effort. Okay. We, you, you were talking about filling some planes with gas, sending them over and calling it a day. That's a scary amount of power to be wielding. We could have easily, you know, if it was palatable, probably the same thing would have been able to be done in, you know, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, by the way, is also, there's this little, you know, thing that, that all the militaries say about it. That's where superpowers go to lose. All right. You look at what yeah, Russia tried to do. You look at yeah, Great Britain. Soviet Union, and, Soviet Union lost and yeah, all that it, stuff. And, and it's, it, look, man, it's, um, we do have to do things that require a lot of people to, to be very violent and to do things that, that not a lot of people are willing to do. And I understand that. Believe me, man, I understand that. But we always have to have some semblance of morals in the background. And now I'm not saying what any, anything uh, uh, about Eddie Gallagher, that there was anything immoral about it. I don't think that, um, well, I, I won't make a, a specific comment on it, but I will say I don't want to get you in trouble. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I'll say this. There are things that when you raise that hand to say, hey, I'm going to serve. As unfortunate as it is, you assume a lot of risks that are probably ancillary to what your actual job is. This is hmm. one of them. And and I don't and I it, it like pains me to even say it like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but gosh, man, like. We just we got a lot of firepower and we got to be really responsible with it. Um, that's just my point of view. But before I go I to like the that. questions, you know, you brought up student loans and a lot of people, because you're a lawyer, you have a lot of them. I bet uh, yeah. they're going to be asking the legality of uh, student loan forgiveness. And again, we're going to switch this back into uh, motorcycle stuff, his personal practice and stuff. Sure. Uh, but uh, you were talking about morality. Where do, where is there even morality on a battlefield? You were talking about how we oh, yeah. wiped out, how we wiped out Japan, but didn't that save us from a, a another Guadalcanal or the Philippines? And million they had an estimate of a million casualties in that one. Yeah. Why shouldn't we end it? I don't know. That's that's the, that's the real that's the honest to God's that's truth, man. This, it's because because for every point there's a counterpoint. Mm -hmm. um, for every reason to do it, there's a reason not to do it, and it's one of those issues, man. Where I would I don't have the the mental capacity to to even figure out these problems. Um, I think it takes a group of people and them saying, okay, we're going to do this or not do it, and then a lot of other people have to live with the consequences of of those actions. Now, a lot of us motorcyclists, bikers have a lot of financial burdens, one of them being student loans. And mm -hmm. this administration has been trying to give student loan forgiveness. And this is something I was against because why should I pay for somebody's education? Hell, my daughter, who uh, went through her master's and all that, uh, works in uh, school psychology. And it's like, you took out $100,000 worth of loans. You knew you were going to do it. And you're sitting here wishing that they were forgiven. Where is the legality on that? Should others have to pay for it? 
Yeah. So I, and I'll start this off by saying this is pure opinion because I'm definitely not a legal scholar when it comes to student <laughs> loans, other than I don't want to have them anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so that, that's the X I've been trying to get rid of for years. But um, no. It, Do you, you think know, somebody else should pay your student loans? No, I don't think that anybody else shouldn't pay my student loans. And then you go to the next question. Uh, which is, do you think that education should be priced where it's priced? And then you go to the next question is, you know, who's, who's really benefiting from all of this? Because there's a lot of creative government accounting that goes on all the time. And I think that, um, and look, man, your daughter's probably going to go out there and create jobs for people. Your daughter's probably going to go out there and make a huge impact on society. And I'm telling you this firsthand, it's a lot harder to make an impact for people to create jobs, do all that stuff when you have student loans because they affect other things. Think about trying to buy a house and you have student loans. It's tough. Oh, I agree. Um, I agree so, 100%. Yeah. I think we should be like other countries that education should be free since we're paying that tax on it and also sending all our money overseas where yeah. we should take care of our own people and give them the education that they deserve. Yeah. And I, you know, I would also be in faith and, and I had, dude, I, I had a lot of student loans, man. I, I, so if you look at this wall back here, I, I went back for four of these things. I don't what's, know why. What's, some of, those, what's some of those degrees you got behind you? What are they? Uh, I, so, so I, I did my undergraduate uh, in business administration, great university called university of the incarnate word. Uh, then I, uh, I went to grad school at, uh, FIU go golden Panthers. Uh, I did my MBA there and a master's degree in finance. And I thought that I was going to go be on, uh, on wall street and be a day trader. Wow. Um, and, uh, I was like all gung ho about it. Uh, but I, I, you know, I keep in mind, I was in the, the legal world this entire time because of the JAG Corps. And then I, I went to St. Mary's for, uh, for law school. Uh, St. Mary's is one of the finest institutions that I've ever had the privilege of attending because during law school, I actually got mobilized twice. Um, I got once to the Pentagon for for an entire two-year tour, uh, and I, I was fortunate Whoa. enough to go to George Mason Law School at the time for a year so that I could kind of catch up. Uh, and then I, I, got, um, I ended up getting uh, called to active duty and then deployed to Afghanistan for the last time um, towards the end there, and, and it was just uh, – you know, they were just fine institution. Let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a scenario as a yeah. motorcycle attorney, and I'd like to know how you would have went about it. Uh, say a guy that was, say, a crotch rocket and mm -hmm. was riding his motorcycle. There was some speed involved. Somebody slams a brake on. He hits his head and unfortunately rolls into another lane and gets killed by you know they you know say it was a drunk driver that slammed on their brake how would you approach that case with the family in a motorcycle accident scenario like that yeah I, you know first thing i would say is look you guys are coming to us and we're going to get you financial compensation but that's not ever going to replace what you've lost and I, I i respect you guys and, and i want you to know that when we have these conversations it, it is going to be geared towards the business side of things, but that is something that we're going to compartmentalize for this entire journey because mm -hmm. there's, no, there's not a check that an, a, that an insurance company is going to sign for you that's going to change this. And then, you know, the next step would be our, you know, our philosophy is you bring in as many people as you can and then you let them get themselves out of the case. 
Um, and you really, you know, this, this is actually a good segue into talking about settlements versus trial and, and that sort of thing. So sometimes, uh, Mike, this is what we were talking about earlier, man. And this, this is, this is probably something that requires a larger legislative effort. Um, mm-hmm. but, so, but sometimes you'll go in, you'll get a settlement at policy maximums because you know, that's going to be the fastest way to get your client a bunch of money after they've been hurt and they probably need resources. So, you say, okay, well, if I'm settling at policy maximums, this is as much as I can get. You can potentially keep the person on the hook, the actual person who, who you know, who's responsible for the accident, but rarely are you going to be able to get anything out of them. I mean, the average person just does not have that much to take. So you take nope. as much as you can and then you go. Now, here's the big issue. Here's the big issue. Mike, you know this? Medical liens, medical billing, medical costs – that come in and they front run you for your award. If I were in charge of anything for a day, something that I would change is, uh, and I would do this vis-a-vis legislation say, okay, yeah, we get this award, but the people, the businesses that are going to be intervening, that are going to be paying, they're going to come last and they get compensated after the person that was injured gets compensated and the reason that i say that and this is all this is all pie in the sky shit that somebody is going to hear especially some insurance company like well yeah but they you know nothing happened the, they didn't have to provide the medical services and all that here's the reality what do you think the the economic impact is of that person especially a biker man cuz you get in a fender bender as a biker dude you're going to be in the hospital you know mm-hmm. you're not just going to see a chiropractor all right what do you think the economic impact is going to be on an entire family when somebody uh, potentially loses a job or when they can't take their kids to daycare or when they can't do basic household functions? That economic impact, I think, will be bigger than somebody having to write off some medical bill that's a, a large Well, see, and you say that, and what happened to me was, you know, they the whole thing was well, at the, at, by the end of the whole stay of my medical stay for 26 days in the hospital – was $1.5 million to keep me alive and do all the surgeries, right? Then they I settled with them where I had to pay them before I saw a dime. I had to pay them 133 grand that I had to settle for. That was like one, like fifth of what they wanted originally, but then we had to settle it down to 133 grand. And who has that? I don't have that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. how does that, how is that supposed to work? When especially I don't even have the, the the money for it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do you mean I, I owe this? Well, the you explore, know, and I have to pay explore that, that issue does drunken driving play more of a role in guilt? Uh, are are you talking about for in and, that, that, in, that in, in that incident in the civil context? Talking. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, it, yeah. As a lawyer. Yeah, was asking how you to handle the case and this can bring in Mike Ball too and full disclosure okay you know I have to be full that incident I was talking about uh I was 15 years old and that was my older brother that got killed oh wow dude wow I and and I'll say that dude first of all rest in peace to your brother man that's um that sucks I mean there's no way to get around that I'm sure this day is like I don't yeah. know if anybody talks about the effects during the case that it actually has on the family members oh, 20 years later, yeah. say. Yeah. And and so, you know, and I'll tell you this. And Mike, we were talking earlier about this, man. I'm, I'm right there with you because I 
have had cases very similar to that. So drunken driving, yeah, I think it it it's safe to say that it significantly increases the insurance companies at least accepting liability early on. Um, and and it's you know so that's in in the context of the civil case that's helpful. Um, but you know there there's a bunch of other implications there that. Um, I mean, it's in Texas, in Texas, we just passed a law where if you kill somebody while you're driving drunk, you have to pay their child support or a former child support. It's been a big thing in, in the state. So, you know, there's, there's wow. ways to, um, yeah, to, to sort of address that and attack it. But that's actually, a, you know, that's a really smart idea to be quite yeah. honest. I mean, you take, you take out, you have the responsibility when you go out there and drive a motor vehicle, you take out someone and their family, how are they supposed to provide for their family anymore? Yeah. Exactly. That was, you took them out. Now it's up to you to now uh, pay for this because you, this is the repercussion for every action. There's a reaction, right? So yeah. it, that, that kind of is a very interesting point. I like that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, look, and, and I'll say with in a situation where you have catastrophic injury, okay, take Mike, for example, catastrophic injury, 100%. I think then you start to really ask why enough times you start to get into all these other things. You get you, our healthcare system. Why does why on earth? Okay, why on earth would it cost over a million dollars to keep somebody alive for a month? Think, just think about like, you know, intuitively. The number of like gauze and doctors and nurses right. involved—it just—it blows your mind. It blows your mind. Yep. Um, so I think you ask enough questions, it gets back to that. Um, thank you for that question. I'm probably going to get canceled by Big Pharma now because they're going to be like, "This guy is talking <laughs> too much about it." Yeah. But, but you know, it's it, it is one of those things where you ask why enough times, and you start to see what the real problems are. Just yep. justice. Yep. I mean, you know. Well, one thing that uh, I don't understand is say an insurance company knows that they're insuring somebody that has like three or four DUIs. Should the that be legal for the insurance company to say, oh, he's only covered for a million dollars, but hey, you still yeah. covered him. Why ain't you liable now? Yeah, that's a here's why that one's a tough question. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because we have to have insurance. To operate vehicles it's forced so then then it's like uh do are they not insured would it better be would it be better that they weren't insured altogether i and i don't know man i don't know i, I make it a referendum throw it up to vote i don't know the answer to that one which would be better um you know i guess that argument maybe presupposes a little bit that the insurance company is the reason they're on the road in the reality, I think most of these people would probably well, be on the road anyway, you know? So if, 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 if the person that hit me had un, it didn't have insurance, my uninsured motorist would have paid more yeah. than what I got paid out from the case. Yeah. And, so if, and, she was, and, if she would have been uninsured, I would have gotten more money. How crazy is that? Well, hopefully now, and this is something to pay attention to for everybody to pay attention to when it comes to their insurance, there's underinsured and uninsured motorist policies. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people lump like some of these insurance companies lump them together, read through your documents. You know, that's one contract I'd say read through. All right. Yeah. If you're downloading an app on your iPhone, scroll through and hit yes, whatever. China already has all our information. Just accept <laughs> yeah. it. Um, but, but for something as important as that, I'd say read through it because there's underinsured and uninsured motorist policies. I'd say for bikers, 
And that's almost a necessary thing to have because we're almost always dealing with catastrophic injury. When we come back, we're talking with Carlos. We're going to go to Road Rage's question after this identification break. Welcome, everybody coming in from Europe right now, South Africa. You guys are awesome. Thanks for supporting the show. We'll be right back after this. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds. It's the hottest mixtape in the world. And you've got it. You're listening to Motorcycle Madhouse Radio A61354. If you're just joining us right now, we got Carlos on Road Rage has a statement. We're going to find out just how true this is right now. We got Carlos. Uh, he is an attorney. I forgot his, uh, you know, his law firm's name, but he'll give it to us. It comes down to percentage of fault. Was the speed a bigger factor in the collision than the drunk driver? Generally, the drunk driver is considered to be the fault or at fault person in that. How true does that ring, Carlos? And what's your uh, law firm again? The law firm, it's a very complex name. Um, it's called the biker firm. So it's yep, uh, very, oh, it's very super easy, easy to remember. <laughs> uh, there you go. So, Road Rage, um, you know, that that could be the case. Uh, it is jurisdiction dependent. There's comparative fault jurisdictions. There's, uh, there, there, let, me, let me put it this way, without getting too much into legalese, different jurisdictions have different requirements for fault. And a lot of times what you're going to be looking at when you go in there is what that jurisdiction has said that that one uh, you know, characteristic of the accident, what, how that contributes to the case. Maybe speed is more important in one jurisdiction than junk driving. I think there's, uh, you know, it's safe to say that when, when you're talking about things, there's kind of these per se cases. Like you know, if, you're, if you're driving drunk, that's probably per se that you're negligent. You know, there's not a whole lot of um, uh, analysis outside of that. Um, and and at the end of the day, it would it still go to contribute to that one party's fault. So it's not um, they wouldn't. In other words, uh, they they would never be able to come to court and say, "Hey, well, I was I was speeding, uh, and that's my defense because I was I know I was drunk, but that's that was less of a contribution." No, we're we're taking it. And we're looking at total contribution. So mm -hmm. what is their what is that person's contribution, regardless of which things that person did caused it. Now, say you are in a trial against an insurance agency and you know they probably have like 10 high-priced Harvard lawyers in there to defend the insurance company and your firm is representing somebody that got hurt in a motorcycle accident or a family member killed, how would you attack the witness that has three or four DUIs? Hmm. Oh, I mean, that you know, I think the best way to cross-examine witnesses uh, is, is always to be their buddy. You're always going to get better information. So go up there, soften them up with a few really easy questions. Uh, and then you get gradually more aggressive. I think th this, this, by the way, applies to, to almost any witness that you're going to cross examine or anything like that. Or, um, if you're, if you're going to have a witness and, and they're going to be testifying and you're actually going to be examining them for the first time, I would say just build the rapport the more rapport you have, generally, the better uh, information you can get and ask questions in a way that make people just willing to, to give that information. Just, you know, now there as I, an and look as an attorney that represents uh, motorcyclists, how would you lobby 
against letting people get three or four DUIs in the first place? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I'll be very honest with you. I wouldn't because I'm also a defense attorney and, and I also know that there's, there are very stiff consequences right now uh, in Texas, for example. Okay. Once you get multiple DUIs, you're up in the felony level already. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of more law is better law. I actually think fewer laws with more simple interpretations are better. You start to get, and, and we're seeing a product of that right now. We have things like the Texas gang database or, uh, you know, different things that in, in essence, let law enforcement profile. That's a result of more law. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm saying less law, better interpretations and, and just, but doesn't that uh, whole, you know, affect your effectiveness into defending somebody who has faced somebody that has three or four DUIs, but at the same time, you're a defense attorney and some would say you're playing both sides of the aisle at that point. So how effective are you going to be yeah. in representing one or the other? You're either a defense or you're on the side of the victim. Oh, that, that's actually a great question. Um, it's, it's never the case that I would be playing both sides because we're talking civil context versus criminal context. So in the civil context, we, it, I think it makes me a better PI attorney to have been in the criminal context before where I am looking at cases saying, okay, how do we defend against this thing? You're, you're a fourth DWI, how are DUI in some jurisdictions? How do you, how do you, you know, how do you defend against that? And then that informs our strategy on the civil side when we have to do the same thing. So it's definitely not, but, it's but just two same, different legal systems. But at the same time, you said you wouldn't legislate on behalf of uh, making it illegal because it's another law that has somebody at three or four DUIs that there should be tougher penalties. Most hit and runs on motorcyclists happen with a drunk driver. And I cover that all the time in biker news where somebody got hit and the driver tried leaving. So again, how would your effectiveness be if you don't want to lobby for laws that would actually help some of your clients over protecting somebody that has like three or four duis yeah i i just don't think that they would help my clients that's why man i i think that the the harshness of the criminal sanctions that'll come later are completely separate and generally that's not going to get my client any more compensation on the civil side now mm. i there are a bunch of different ways to look at laws you know do they deter people from doing it because the punishments are harsh do that you know that's a big question that comes up I don't know that that's the case. I don't know that a punishment being more harsh will deter everybody. I mean, you know, if that were the case, we would be more public and just say, hey, these people got punished this much. Like, you know, people, I don't know that they really care that much until it happens to them. And on top of that, you have pretty stiff penalties on the books already for, for these things. And, and when we're really talking about this, we're not even talking about, um, you know, DUIs or DWIs. We're talking about vehicular homicide. We're talking mm -hmm. about aggravated assault because of the, you know, because of the vehicle. So it's not, I, I, I really, really do feel this. I'm not just feeding you a bunch of bullshit here, man. I think that having the inside track on what a criminal defense looks like is a great way to look at, at situations where you do have a drunk driver in the civil context and say, okay, well, here's what I'd be thinking. 
you know, this is this is the point that I would have. And again, they're two different legal systems. It's one civil, one's criminal, but mm -hmm. it, it definitely gives you some familiarity with the uh, the material. Why is it? Because you brought up there's some harsh penalties already out there. A motorcyclist gets killed in a hit and run, and next thing you know, you see uh, plea deals out at five or seven years is all they get for killing somebody, killing mm -hmm. a motorcyclist and just leaving them on the side of the road. Where yeah. is the laws protecting the victim on that? Yeah, the, the reality is that, and this this isn't even just isolated to motorcyclists. This This type of thing plea deals with low sentences um that that is something that regularly happens for a variety of reasons with a bunch of different crimes whether it's murder vehicular homicide rape i mean there's there's a bunch of them where people get really good deals and i'll tell dude look i'll be honest with you man sometimes you have these cases as a defense attorney and you win but you know your person did it and you mm -hmm. don't feel great about it but what I say to that, and, and for anybody watching or, or trying to understand the legal system, as a defense attorney, you walk in there and you say, okay, I'm going to do my best so that this person's rights are protected, not advocate for their wrongdoing, none of that. Not for them you as their stay... per human. Exactly. It's just following the rights. Exactly. Okay, you're, you're saying, you're, hey, you're, you're talking about the rights, but let's, because uh, you you're a def defense attorney too or you were doing that before uh, the civil liability and stuff. Let's take a case, and this happens all the time, and unfortunately too much if you ask me, but if you ever seen the movie with Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino and Keanu Reeves, he was put in a position where he knew his client was guilty of molesting a girl, but he still said he had to defend his rights. How do you live with something like that as a defense attorney when you know he did that? Yeah, I go right back to the military, man, because I think this little document called the Constitution means something. And if the, the law is not applied equally across the board, it doesn't matter for anybody. I would rather I'm saying and I will say this is a very definitive statement. I think it is better for multiple uh guilty people to walk free than for one innocent person to be convicted of something they didn't do and have to spend time incarcerated. I truly it, believe that at the deepest level possible. But you know, he did it. How mm -hmm. do you live with something like that? It's all, because the example you just gave is you'd rather have all these guilty people uh, walk away. And I think, uh, parents would disagree on that one. If they would a hundred percent molested and mm -hmm. your job as a defense attorney would be to go after that little girl on the stand. Potentially, potentially, but I'm, I'm giving it to you straight, man. Like you, yep. could, you could get anybody up here to bullshit you and say, Oh no, I feel terrible. You know what the reality is, man, the laws have to apply equally. And guess mm -hmm. what? We see this all the time with motorcyclists. So we can't, we also as a motorcycle community, I'm not a biker. So I'm not saying this as, as somebody who is a biker, I'm saying that advocating for laws to be applied equally is an important principle. Straight up, man. It Straight is. Up. It is to be so, equally, so, but in something like that, I don't know how people would sleep. But no, counseling. <laughs> I mean, it's like straight up, man, you know, cause you, you gotta, you gotta say, you gotta really believe first of all, that 
this thing counts, that these rules count, all right? We're not playing Monopoly here, shuffling money under the table. We're talking about somebody's life in jeopardy, and it's not just about that one person. It's about every other person who has to interact with the justice system, and then you just set an unfair precedent by not advocating for your client as strongly as possible. And I'll tell you mm -hmm. this, man, dude, I, it, even in cases where I know my client did it, I compartmentalize it. And I say, you know what my job is to do here? It's like a military mission, brother. Mm -hmm. My job is to go in there and protect this person. And I may be the last person who cares about him. Mm. You know, so, so, that, so I, I take that seriously, man. And, and so, um, and I, I get, I, I don't know if you can see, I get passionate. I haven't been drinking, you know, vodka here or anything. This, this is just, this, is, this happens to be a topic that really gets me fired mm -hmm. up because I right. care about my clients and what happens to them. Mm -hmm. now uh you said it here and uh yeah you know princess and hey australia you're turning in man uh wish we had more lawyers lawyers like carlos over by you guys you wouldn't have all those bikey laws yeah. but you just said it yourself you're not a biker or a motorcyclist why should my audience trust you in taking their case if you don't even know the lifestyle Oh, that's, I'm actually glad you asked that because I do know the lifestyle and I, I will tell you this. I've had a motorcycle endorsement since I was 18. Uh, in fact, I, I just got, I was talking to Mike about this. I just got rid of my uh, 17 Road King. So I'm looking for that next project bike that we're going to work on over here. So I do ride, but I, I am not a biker. And the reason that, uh, that anybody should trust me, I, I mean, make your own assessment, man. Am I a genuine person? Am I out there? Can you go talk to any number of clubs here? Can you go? And I haven't even said this purposely, not said this. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law is the uh, the VP of a large 1% club in Colorado, and he's recently had some issues that have affected my family firsthand. So here's what I'll tell people. Look, don't, don't go hire somebody. Don't go hire any lawyer that says they're a biker lawyer because they ride a bike. Go see what kind of lawyer they are. Mm -hmm. Go see what they'll do in the courtroom. Go feel them out. See if they're passionate about what they want to do. So that's why I think people should trust me. But I also think, hey, dude, do your own assessment, man. Go check the internet. Google the name. See what's out there. And then, you know, maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But make that informed decision yourself. Mike, by the way, you got to put his uh, number to his law firm. In the Absolutely. I, I have everything in my chat as well. His uh, website as well as uh, his Instagram as well. I'll drop it in the comments right now as well. Yeah, that way people know who we're talking to right here. I got you. <laughs> that way they awesome. can go to the site, lift, uh, look them up and all that good stuff. Now, you said you don't know what NCOM is, and I'm hopefully, you know, after the show, you get to learn more about it because they were started by Richard Lester as far as biker rights are concerned. And your law firm uh, deals with a lot of biker stuff. You just said uh, you have family members as a vice president of a big one percenter club. And one percenters right now are facing a huge problem with the federal government especially down in texas yes how, how legal is these gang enforcement task list and especially a case that came out of there that was just settled where they can designate you as a gang but even if you have a legal concealed carry license and this happened again uh to somebody down there they arrested him for it. 
I'm, thank you for throwing that out there because there are a couple of major things going on right now. In fact, we should do this again uh, probably in about six to eight months because there's some things going on right now that I would love to comment on that I can't comment on mm -hmm. because I specifically have people involved in it. But here's what I will say, okay? Number one, uh, a big thing down here in Texas anyway is called the Texas Gang Database. It gives um, what I view as just kind of this unfettered access for law enforcement to go in and document and, you know, kind of take people and place them directly in the crosshairs of the government for no good reason. We have dealt, and again, man, I, I'm so glad you said what you said earlier, Hollywood, like go, go to the El Paso County court website. You guys can see exactly what kind of cases we handle and exactly what has happened. We had this trifecta, not trifecta. We had a trio of cases over this last year that has been very, um, just shitty. I guess that's the legal word for it. Go look it up <laughs> in the dictionary. Um, so we just finished the, the two of them. Uh, both of the first cases that got finished were for clubs that were not 1% clubs, but they were linked to this other well-known 1% club. Of course. I won't yeah. talk about. Well, but I think what you're talking about is the El Paso thing, the Red River deal. And no, that a couple days ago, the FBI... Yeah. Uh, executed uh, search warrants on many of them. And I was arguing on my new show that it was so broad because they say they were targeting anybody. One of the lines in that uh, warrant request was they were targeting anybody with bandito tattoos or any anybody who was affiliated with them. How legal is that down there? And again, with Texas, it seemed like it got worse with the profiling and the gang task uh, list yep. after yep. Waco Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody who says that Waco or even like, you know, look at the last 120 days, what we've had happen. We had Red River. We had stuff happen in Houston. We had Oklahoma. We've had a lot of stuff happen. OK, um, I would say it. So I'm telling you this without having reviewed any search warrants or anything like that. I have no clue what those affidavits say. But in general, I think it's a bad thing for the vast majority of profiling to take the take place the way that it does. Here's something that happens. The, the cases I was just telling you about, our first two cases there, we got both of them dismissed. What happened is we said, you know what, government? You're not going to come in here. And they were both unlawful carry cases. So there's a statute in Texas, and it basically says – if you are part of a criminal street gang, you can't carry a weapon with you, even under something like constitutional carry here in Texas. Which, and we're liberal with our gun laws, man. Like, yeah, you guys we, are cool with everything. So, so it's kind of radical that oh, they're so strict on, on this aspect where they're particularly pointing out people that are just wearing a motorcycle vest. You know what I mean? That that It's, yeah. it's ridiculous the amount of um, you know intrusion in, in our own rights there is there. Oh, yeah. And and what we had to do with those cases. So first, they, they took a long time. So we did speedy trial motions. Those didn't work. OK, so we get right up to trial and I'm licking my chops, man. I, you know, I've, guys, I've been doing this for a while. It's like you guys having a very common problem with your bike. You just walk in there and fix it and do it on the road. Yep. So for the first one, uh, we, we were actually at docket call prior. It was about seven days prior to when we were supposed to start jury selection. And uh, the prosecutor's like, 
look, man, are we going to settle this? Are we going to go forward? And I, I was like, I, I mean, sure. Give me what I want. Just give me the dismissal. It's simple. Like there's no, I'm not taking a plea. Uh, and, and let me be specific and careful when I say this. It is not up to me to take a plea or not take a plea. I would right. not advise my client to take a plea under those, those circumstances because there's something called extraneous evidence that has to be brought in to prove that they were part of a criminal street gang. They hadn't even presented any evidence for that. And I have to get notice before I walk into trial. So right. he's like, no, I think we're good. We'll take it to trial. Too easy, man. Let's go. All right. <laughs> so about three minutes before the judge walks in, he leans over. He says, Carlos, I will give you your dismissal. I just need you to give me the guns. And I said, okay, you've tendered an offer. Let me talk to my client about it. That was a hard conversation. My mm -hmm. client has a family to take care of. My client's job was put at, je in, in, at risk because of this charge. And so then he has to decide, well, I didn't really do anything wrong, but now I have to lose my gun. Um, we ended up taking the deal. He got that one dismissed and we forfeited the guns. It resulted in a full dismissal and that thing can be expunged later on. That was a very difficult choice for my client. That was a very difficult choice uh, because as, as much as I would love to take it to trial, I can't do these things on academic expeditions because I think right. you know Carlos can go in and kick ass. So the second one comes up, all right? This other client, this was a related case. My other client doesn't have, he has no compunctions about like taking it to the government. So he's like, no, 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 unless we get the dismissal. So same exact thing. We're there a week before docket call. I'm like, cough up the dismissal. We can end this thing very easily. And um, he's like, no. So I get a call probably 10 minutes before we're supposed to walk in. And again, this is a week before jury selection. And he says, okay, I'll give it to you. How about the guns? I say, no, no guns this time. Uh, and I say, how about we do this? I'll have my client take a gun safety course. That work for you? So my client ended up taking about you know an hour long online gun safety course, and uh, we got everything dismissed. Now, now are yeah. you licensed? Are you licensed the practice in federal court? I am. I'm licensed in the Western District of Texas, in New Mexico federal court, and in Colorado federal court. Okay, you're licensed in federal court. My question is: yep. the yep. FBI, DOJ, yep. Uh, yep. the U.S. government has a 98 percent conviction rate. 98% conviction rate. Do you feel as an attorney, the reason why people settle out of court or take plea bargains, whatever you want to say is because of that 98% conviction rate? No, I don't. I think it, it, I, it could partially be for that, but I, it, it's, you got to understand that in the federal system, it's very different than in state court. Okay. Number one, let's, let's talk about the big differences between state court cases and federal court cases. Number one, if you're in federal court, you've probably been surveilled for a while by some alphabet soup agency. So generally they're going to have a little bit more firepower walking in there. That's a reality. We're not talking about street cops that see something and then immediately react to it. We're talking about some sophisticated surveillance, especially, and guys in a lot of one percenter clubs know this, especially in those clubs, because sometimes you get somebody that flips and they start yep. talking. So that contributes to it. The second thing is I think one of, you know, one of the big things that makes people really hesitant about federal court, we're not talking you know, a, a, an attorney that's really good that can go in there and just say, hey, dismiss it. We, you know, we got all this evidence. No, no, no. 
if it goes to trial or if, once it gets in front of the judge, we're, we're essentially on a chart of punishments and they have to have very good devi- reasons to deviate from that chart. Uh, it's called the federal sentencing guidelines. So I think that's another thing that can, that contributes to a lot of plea bargains and everything because you can't, you don't have this laissez faire, you know, I walk in here and I ask for whatever I want. Um, so that, that's, that's a, you know, big thing. Nelson, you're also right. Resources is different because typically the caseload of a federal prosecutor is going to be lower. Not always, not always, but it, it sometimes is lower. And then the other big part about the resources is, you know, think about any three letter government agency and you have those kinds of law enforcement resources at your disposal versus, you know, some, some DAs have work with a police department that has a budget that's, you know, lower than, some people's personal salaries. So, so there's a lot of different factors that contribute to it. What do you think about law enforcement? And I got a couple more questions and I'm sure Mike does in the chat room. Cause I kept John here forever. No, this is great. But what do you think about law enforcement crying and whining about a guy like double D from the motorcycle mm-hmm. profiling project that is getting laws passed. And I believe four States already, against motorcycle profiling where they say, well, we don't need a law because that don't happen. I would ask any of those officers to tell me what laws are on the books and then we can have an honest conversation because if you're just adding laws or advocating for laws for no reason because you think they give you an easier tool, that is not the right answer as the government. So I would ask any of those officers, tell me a little bit about what you understand to be the law. And they are not lawyers. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying they have to know everything. I'm saying let's take a good, hard, honest look at what we have on the books before we add any more. And I'll also say, generally, if you just look at the laws, like everything kind of comes from like five or six different events, you know, like homicide, theft, you know, assault, arson. So so it's not. And when you think about the number of laws on the books, you're like, holy cow, how can so many laws come from you know, this small number of events? Mm-hmm. But don't aren't they needed because there is a lot of profiling that happens, especially one percenters in clubs. No, I don't think more laws are needed. I think the only uh, the, generally generally. OK, one of the things one of the outcomes of more laws is you have attorneys making more money and they're a big part of the legislature. It's not a conspiracy theory. Just follow the economics of it. OK, I think educating simplifying those are are really impactful things so So i got a question regarding that since we're on it so you're saying that essentially if we add more literature to anything it actually kind of hurts let's say the defense i'm gonna ask you when you when these people are adding law would you say it actually makes your job easier or does it make it actually harder because I can understand either way. I mean, I, it kind of seems yeah. like the way you're speaking about it is the more verbiage there is, it's actually works against you. Is that true? Uh, no, I'll give you the lawyer answer, man. It depends. I mean, it depends yeah, it's, it's on, on what the law is. But, but, you know, I, I would say, um, number one, it, and, and even as I say, the less laws, the better. There's, there's constantly new literature being published on the law, and it's called case law. And it's stuff that we have, uh, like like you pointed out, Hollywood, there's certain circuits that are well known to mm-hmm. be overturned by SCOTUS. Uh, so there's always new law being written, right? 
Um, I just think that when, when you start to get into really specific things, you give it, you know, potentially to a talented defense attorney, you give them a lot more firepower. And they're like, well, you know, maybe this just isn't exactly like that. Right. Um, and it's dangerous when you have prosecutors that don't know what they're doing because then law gets misapplied. And just as a simple principle of mathematics, the more laws you have, the higher the chance it would be of them being misapplied just by virtue of there being more laws. So I think simpler laws is better. I mean, that's so, the best example so you, you agree that current laws should be enforced and not more laws made then. Is that what I'm getting? Yeah. And I don't, I really don't think that when people, uh, you know, e either in the, the house or the Senate, whether it be in the States or at the federal level, I don't think that when they're drafting new legislation, that somebody's there doing a complete and total audit of what every single law is on the book that's going to get impacted. There are, there are places that do that. Okay. So I don't want to sound like they're just drafting up stuff and submitting it. That's surely not the case. I'm just saying, you know, have you looked at the application of how the law is, how's it playing out? What, what's happening? So, what is, is it so having... wouldn't, wouldn't that be the same case then when earlier on in the show, you said with the second amendment, that you don't think it was intended for those to have machine guns or whatever, if they enforce the laws on the books already, then why try to make more laws against the Second Amendment if you're not for more laws being put that put on the books? Yeah, so that a lot of that comes down to case law and decisions versus things that go on the books per se. So, so it's you know it's a constant interpretation. Well, because Cal California right now they legislate, okay, you can't have more than. 10 bullets in a clip or something like that but most of the yep. time with the second amendment it's the criminals and ain't the damn people that are legal i'm a huge second amendment got a lot of permits yeah. and stuff uh, for concealed carry around the states so again i would ask if you don't believe that there should be more laws written then why keep on targeting the second amendment through more laws and you're only hurting, the, like you said, you're only hurting at that point the law-abiding citizen. You're not. You think the the, the, mm -hmm. the you know the criminal over there gives a fuck about the anything to do with the law? No, they're going to skirt right around it just like anything else. So it only hurts the law-abiding citizen, in my opinion. So but does that change? Could. Does that change your mind? Where okay, you know, you have a law-abiding citizen, say an ex-vet that has an AK 47 or something fully automatic. He knows how to use that. Why should there be more laws passed against him when there's already yeah, laws I, on the books? Yeah. I, I just don't know that there's a, a good application for some weapons, uh, automatic weapons. You know, I, I don't know mm -hmm. that there's a good application. If there was one, let me be clear too. like, I am not saying that my mind can't be changed. My mind isn't changed right now because it, Nelson just kind of pointed something out. Make a law, take a law, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. So I think when we're talking about evolution of law, it in, in my mind anyway, it sort of implies that it's not going to be like a, a build up an additional law, more law, more law, more law. It's change that law. And, and right. That, instead of adding, and, instead of adding, you, you, they should be editing the, if anything, edit the law that's there rather than add and add and add. And it, it seems like if they add more and more, it's actually more use and help for the government. And it's 
worse on the public. Yeah, it could be. I mean, and, and I think too, like, you know, there's no law that says everybody that you must be a lawyer to defend yourself in court at least. So, mm -hmm. so the law should be designed for people to understand what's going on. Now there's a lot of, I'd say there's a fair amount of cases where it's valuable to have a lawyer, but that's the same thing. You know, that's the same reason I hire an electrician instead of learning how to do it myself. You know, it's a, it's a sliding scale, man. Can I change a light bulb? Sure. Can I change uh, you know, a fixture? Probably. But when it comes to rewiring an entire house, um, I, I probably couldn't do it. I probably wouldn't want to put the time in and go through all the errors and the experience to make that happen. So Absolutely. You know, same thing when it comes to law. Rock and roll, man. This was an awesome uh, conversation. To be honest. And I really appreciate uh, Carlos being on. Uh, before we go, I'm actually going to get, if you're over on YouTube or any of the video platforms, I know on the radio, you guys can't see this and you always tell me how much you hate it, but, uh, we're going to take a look at his website and, uh, let him go. I don't know if you guys can see it right now. Uh, it's, the oh, fence. that's the old one. That's oh, the, okay. that's the old one. Sorry, man. So we, we just transitioned to the, if you go to the bikerfirm.com. Okay. Just thebikerfirm.com. The we bikerfirm. are doing our okay. yep. Yep. Uh one extra E in there, brother. Okay. Uh e there's one extra E. e. Just T H E. Yeah. T H E. Okay. I got that little E that snuck in there. And this so is if you ever had a problem with uh motorcyclists. Uh, if you got in an accident, anything like that, their services are criminal defense, uh, motorcycle injury, civil rights. Very important for uh, the club guys out there, especially in Colorado, Texas, where they're practicing at to get a hold of them. Uh, it got a, a little deal on Carlos. He founded the biker firm because he's seen an issue that needed to be fixed. It started with criminal defense to protect people's rights and then uh, goes on to his experience and stuff like that. Uh, great stuff. His licensing it is very important for that. Then he does have Facebook, Instagram, and it looks like uh, like it in right there. Uh, 915-538-8500. He's at 213 South El Paso Street in El Paso, Texas. Again, Texas, man, we know you guys are having a problem down there. Uh, so give him a try. Uh, I guess see here, we're building a new biker firm so, site. How to get that hey, up, And what One thing, Hollywood, one thing I want to say really quick before we take off. With the biker firm site, I actually did technology law for a couple of years. And one thing we want to make sure of is that it's a platform. So reporting, metrics, data, there's a lot of really good organizations out there that do reporting if you're profiled. One thing that they don't have, unfortunately, is attorney-client privilege. So we've there's mm. been a lot of like, important discussions about that, especially in Texas. So we're going to be launching our reporting apparatus. And then we can provide aggregate numbers to whoever, you know, COC&I, the Texas Defenders, whoever needs it. Um, wow. we have attorney client privilege and then we are, you guys just don't understand what a nerd I am. Like AI is <laughs> role in what we do. So we're going to go out there and kick some ass with technology. And, um, that's the plan.
But hey, I don't know, man. I'll be seeing you in the green room right after the show. I'll tell you what, man. Maybe I need to be a nerd, a nerd man. Nerds get the hottest women. Oh, dude. We do. Okay, we do me, get the hottest women. Let me show you. <laughs> so uh, I'm, you can see my Thor's hammer back here. Dude, I spend so much money on toys. I got the White Ranger helmet over here. That's I'm a so nerd, man. I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. <laughs> I love it. Oh, uh, hey, okay, Carlos, appreciate having you on. Uh, stay tuned. I'll be right back there uh, to talk to you. Uh, Mike, man, what did you think of the show? I thought it was very interesting. Some of the comments that uh, we got from Carlos, some of the situations yep. that he has faced. What do you think about everything? I knew this was going to be a, a, a wonderful discussion just off of, you know, I get a, a you know, pre-show, I get a lot of time to be able to talk to the guests, you know what I mean? Because I'm booking them, I'm usually talking with them, and I and and I go out of my way to usually video chat them or call them and get to know them a little bit. So they get to be more comfortable on our show and vice versa. You know, I get to know a little bit more about them. And so it's a better interview. Um, being able to talk with him, I just knew right off the bat, like, man, this guy... I can tell that, I mean, I, I'm sure you guys can tell as well who, who what type of uh, person he is. And being able to talk with him uh, extensively on the phone, I've had the privilege to do that. Usually people pay a lot of money to talk to a lawyer on a phone for that long. But um, I was very lucky to be able to talk with him and uh, get to learn about him, you know. And he, he, he seems to be uh, extremely genuine and uh, caring of all situations. My situation uh, everyone, you know, everyone that goes through these things, he was telling me about some of his clients that went through some of the roughest things as well. And I, I, I feel for that, you know, I can only imagine being a lawyer and seeing some of the worst things happen to your clients. Well, what I like is that he is motorcyclist centered and he's right. a criminal attorney. I, you know what? A lot of attorneys out there are not forthcoming. Uh, they try to skirt around a lot of stuff. And when it comes to a motorcycle accident or being involved in profiling, it's so important to have somebody actually advocate for you instead of chasing the money. Yes, yeah, someone actually that actually cares about you as a human being, not like, hey, we're looking at this person as a money bag where we can make money off of this person. No, it's like, what about this guy's rights? What about his family? What about his every what about his job, his house? He's gonna lose everything if you go through with this. And and a lot of the times it's BS anyways. You know what right. I mean? So that's what I'm saying. It's it's we need people like Carlos in the world. We need those people on our side. Yeah, Nelson, we'll get him back on. Uh, I know you guys got a lot of questions for him. Uh again, you might be able to get a home. Uh, on Instagram, uh, Mike yes, knows all that. I got stuff. the Instagram all right here, and you guys can go ahead and reach out to him as well. Make sure you hit him with the follow 1000%. You guys can reach out to him, DM him, talk to him, stuff like that. Have any and questions? Hopefully, you all recommend him to everybody else. We appreciate the broadcast around the world today. We had almost every continent but Antarctica on here listening to us. Uh, you know, we didn't get into uh, the Australian anti-bikey laws. Dude, or... there's so much we can get into with, and, and especially with someone that understands what's going kind of like, you know, it's different when you just have a normal lawyer and they're just not talking about civil defense or whatever. But when you have someone that actually knows what's going on in like the biker community, 
and then being able to talk a lot about these subjects, we're not going to be able to cram everything into one show. That's for dang sure. Right. I mean, we, we pretty much run in an hour and we're already an hour 40. So <laughs> the biggest thing I can tell you the difference between us, Australia, Canada, we got a bill of rights and you got to make sure you always stand up for those bill of rights and don't give in anyway that's the hollywood and mike show i'm going to be turning you over to 24 7 rock and roll baby we got ozzy osborne and the rest of the crew coming up hopefully uh i'll see you guys tomorrow on uh the motorcycle madhouse man china doll pissed off at me man she thought i was gonna and kill me. her earlier she's today. mad at me too so it's okay I'm, oh we're, you we're gonna be in the you a little prick, man. You got me in the doghouse. You need to talk to what her. Me? She, she oh, kick, man. She's going to kick me in the ass with your leg. Anyway, we'll catch you later, Rock. I said goodbye, vamoose, adios, ciao, so long, get your hat jacked. Number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode.